0: Uh, so, uh, last week we started a series: "Stand firm, hold fast." Anyone remember what book of the Bible that's from? Thessalonians. Which one? First or second? All right. So, if you have your Bibles, open them up to the Second Thessalonians. Uh, this week's message is really going to make sense. Uh, in regards to last week's message. So if you weren't here last Sunday, go online, uh, listen to it or watch it, and and then uh, today will make a lot lot of sense uh, as well. But before we go any further, I want to show that video that I was going to show last week, uh, but we ran out of time, but today we have a little bit more time. So let's go ahead and watch this together.
1: Paul's second Paul's letter, second to, letter the to the Thessalonians. So not long, so not after, long after Paul wrote, wrote 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians, he, got a, he got a report about the Christians in Thessalonica. In Thessalonica. That the problem he, he had addressed in that, that letter, letter not only had continued, but had gotten worse. The persecutions had intensified, and the Thessalonian Christians had become confused and scared about the return of Jesus. So Paul sent off this short letter, which is designed to have three sections that address the three problems in this church. Paul first offers hope in the midst of their continued persecution. And then he offers clarity about the coming day of the Lord. And then finally, he brings a really specific challenge to the idle, people who were refusing to work normal jobs. And the end of each of these sections is clearly marked by a short closing prayer. Paul opens with a thanksgiving prayer for the Thessalonians' continued faithfulness and love, and specifically for their endurance. He's learned that their Greek and Roman and perhaps even Jewish neighbors have intensified their persecution of these Christians. They're a religious minority facing violent oppression. And Paul's worried that they might give up on Jesus if it gets worse. So Paul reminds them, like he did in the first letter, that their suffering, because of being associated with Jesus, it's a way of participating in God's kingdom. Jesus was inaugurated as king by his suffering on the cross, and so his followers will show their victory over the world by imitating Jesus' nonviolence and patient endurance. Paul also reminds them that this won't last forever. When Jesus returns, he will bring his justice to bear on those that have oppressed them and shed the blood of the innocent. Specifically, he says that their punishment is to be banished away from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Paul does not speculate here on the fate of those who reject Jesus, except to say that throughout their lives they wanted nothing to do with Jesus, and in the end, they get what they want. Relational distance from their creator and their king. And for Paul, this is the ultimate tragedy. To choose separation from Jesus, who is the source of all life and love, is to embrace one's own undoing. He closes this thought by praying that God would use their suffering to bring about deep character change inside of them so that their lives would bring honor to the name of Jesus. Paul then moves on to address a specific issue related to the return of Jesus and the day of the Lord. So somebody in the Thessalonian church community had been spreading wrong information in Paul's name, saying that God's final act of justice on human evil, the day of the Lord, it was upon them. It has come. And these people had likely been predicting dates about the end of all things, and they were frightening other Christians. And you can see why. Due to the intense persecution, they were vulnerable to somebody claiming that Jesus had already returned like a thief in the night. They've been left behind. Maybe he abandoned the Thessalonians to their suffering. This kind of talk really ticks Paul off. It's misrepresenting his teaching. The return of Jesus should never inspire fear, but rather hope and confidence. Paul reminds them of everything he taught them about Jesus' return back when he was in town. And he gives a short summary here. It's actually too short. This paragraph has lots of puzzles and problems of interpretation. But what's clear is that he cites the well known theme from the prophets Isaiah and Daniel that the kingdoms of this world will continue to produce rulers who rebel against God, like Nebuchadnezzar or the king of the north did in the past. These leaders had exalted themselves to divine authority. And for Paul, these ancient kings and prophecies, they give us images, they set out a pattern that he saw fulfilled in his own day in the Roman emperors, Caligula and Nero, and he expected that it would be repeated again. That history would culminate with such a rebellious ruler, empowered by evil itself, itself, someone who will wreak havoc and violence in God's world, but not forever. When Jesus returns, he will confront the rebel and all who perpetrate evil, and he will deliver his people. So Paul's point here is not to give later readers fuel for apocalyptic speculation. Rather, he's comforting the Thessalonians. He's recalling the teachings of Jesus from Mark chapter 13, who said that the events leading up to his return would be very public and obvious. And so they don't need to be scared or worried that they've been left behind. Rather, they need to stay faithful until Jesus returns to deliver them. And so in his closing prayer, he asked Jesus and the Father to comfort and strengthen the Thessalonians to stay faithful to the way of Jesus. Which brings Paul to the final topic. It's a challenge for those who were idle which doesn't just mean lazy. This refers to people who were irresponsible and who refused to work and provide for themselves, resulting in chaotic personal lives. So Paul had actually addressed this problem in his first letter, and it seems like it's gotten worse. Now, we don't know for certain why some people in this church were refusing to work. It's possible that this problem's connected to the previous one. Maybe some people thought Jesus would return very soon, and so they quit their jobs and dropped out of normal life. But it's more likely that Paul's addressing a problem related to a practice in Roman culture called patronage. So you'd have poor people living in cities, and they would become clients, kind of like personal assistants to wealthy people. And they would live off of their occasional generosity, but there were lots of strings attached. This sometimes involved the clients in their patron's morally corrupt way of life, not to mention it was unpredictable income. So this is what Paul seems to refer to when he says these people lead a disordered life. They're not working and they're meddling in the business of others. So Paul reminds them of the example he gave when he was with them. He didn't ask for their money. He worked a manual labor job so he could provide for himself and so he could serve the Thessalonians free of charge. He says this is the ideal. A follower of Jesus should imitate Jesus' self-giving love by working hard so they can provide for themselves and so their lives can be a benefit to other people. He concludes this with a final prayer that in the midst of all their confusion and suffering that God would grant them peace through the Lord Jesus the Messiah. This short letter to the Thessalonians, it helps us see that the early Christian belief in Jesus' return and the hope of final judgment, these ideas were not meant for generating speculation about apocalyptic timelines. Rather, these beliefs brought hope. They inspired faithfulness and devotion to Jesus, especially for persecuted Christians facing violent opposition. And so for later generations of Christians, whether they undergo persecution or not, this letter reminds us that what you hope for Shapes what you live for, and that's what Second Thessalonians is all about
0: not that good? You know, as your pastor, I don't want you to just hear what you want to hear. I want you to hear the Bible, and I want you to know your Bibles. I want you to study your Bibles. That's why tonight is so important to me. By the way, what's really cool about tonight, what, 30, 40 people coming uh, to all those classes uh, tonight, and it is all run by the church. Uh, neither Jeremy or I are, or Julie, uh, your staff, are teaching anything. Uh, it's the body of Christ, teaching the body of Christ, encouraging the body of Christ, coming together as the body of Christ. So uh, how cool is that? Uh, what a great, great example of a healthy body uh, that will be tonight when we come. Don't don't miss it. Uh, there's no excuses. Uh, we have childcare. Uh, it's six o'clock. Gets over by eight o'clock. Uh, come on out and be a part of that. All right. So verse five. We'll we'll read here verse five through verse ten. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay the affliction those who afflict you, or repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who believed because our testimony to you was believed." All right, I don't know if you picked up on there. There's kind of two different groups of people that he's talking about. Those who don't know God or those who don't obey the Lord Jesus. And then those who do know God with, with, the, with that group uh, that does not know God, who does not obey the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says that God will repay them with affliction. It says the, the Bible says that God will inflict on them vengeance, eternal destruction, away from the presence of God for all eternity, away from the glory of His might. So that's one group of people. And then on the other side, you have those who know God, who, He says, currently are suffering, are currently afflicted. You can keep that passage up there on the screen, by the way. Uh, It's currently suffering, currently afflicted. And then they are going to be granted relief when Jesus comes. Jesus will be glorified in them. And it says they will marvel at Jesus when they're in the presence of Jesus. They will marvel at him. Now, on a personal note, I'm not always so sure how I feel like, uh, about passages like this one. Uh, anybody else? Right? Because I, I like the part about what happens to people who know God and believe in Jesus. I don't really enjoy the other part. I don't. Now, it's weird. I hang out with some Christians who really get excited about like when, when the bad guys get what's coming to them. I've never really understood that, probably because I am that bad guy outside of the grace of God. Um, maybe you are awesome, but for me, uh, it's only by the grace of God that I am what I am. Uh, and I, I don't know, when I read this, I'm like, come on, people, like, turn, right? Turn, come on. like, Don't you just want to yell it at them? Like, hey, you who are oppressing the church, you who are, you know, not believing God, aren't obeying Jesus, turn. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn. And we have, we have examples of that, don't we, in the Bible? Do you remember? What was the guy's name that was the, the worst of sinners? Paul. Who wrote Second Thessalonians? Paul. I mean, Paul turned. And so it's like, man, come on, Jesus. Like, help these people out. Just believe in Jesus. You don't want to spend eternity in darkness outside of the presence of God. And yet you read the Scripture, and the Scripture is very clear that there are people who will reject Christ. They will not turn, and as this passage describes, they will receive the fair and just punishment for their sins, for the evil that they've done. That probably includes people that you know, that are in your life, who have rejected Christ. And it's pretty hard, isn't it? Pretty hard. But I want you to remember, and I I think the the, the the video does a really good job talking about this, but remember, the, the way that Paul is talking, even the style and the words that he chooses, remember who he's talking to. Remember who his audience is. Right? This is so very important. He isn't writing to those who don't obey the Lord. He, he didn't go into a group of atheists and read this letter out to them like Turner Byrne. Uh, who is he writing to? Give it, give it a shot. Yeah. Someone said it. Say it louder. The to the church. To believers. By the way, believers who are getting beat up. Who are being persecuted, who are having just evil things done to them by vicious people. And so he's writing this way with those words, with us, not white to encourage them. It's to encourage these believers. What's the encouragement? God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten you but don't forget that church who the audience is of this letter persecuted Christians remember last week we talked about it I'm just going to share one of the verses verse four he says we boast about you and all the other churches of God why for your steadfastness and for your faith in the midst of all these persecutions and all these afflictions that you are enduring and so last Sunday that was kind of the gist of the message we saw how he encouraged them But now today, he says, you know, yes, you're suffering. Yes, you're afflicted, bad people doing evil things to you. But guess what? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Verse 10, he says, Jesus is coming back on that day. Jesus will be glorified in you. He'll be glorified in all of us. And as believers on that day, we will marvel at him. Again, it's a great encouragement for people who are going through a pretty difficult time. But then Paul, he contrasts this good news for those who believe in Christ With those who do not believe in God or do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says that God will repay them. And by the way, God repaying us for our sins. That's not just an Old Testament idea. Some people go on me where it's like, well, that's just in the Old Testament. You don't find that in the New Testament. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. In fact, that's the kind of verbiage that is mentioned again and again in the New Testament. Because God has not changed. God is still the perfect judge. And He does not allow sin to go unpunished. Have you heard of the final judgment? Uh, You remember I I gave a whole sermon just entitled, The Final Judgment. You can search it online and you can read it. It talks... That's what it's about. The final judgment. The final judgment of all believers and all human beings... Whether you believe in Jesus or not believe in Jesus, it will occur. It's a part of the Bible story. Now, on that day, if you remember that sermon, it's a really good thing to have Jesus, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Most high. Listen to what Paul says. He says, Romans 12, he says, Beloved, this is some wisdom for us today, by the way. He says, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. This is the Lord talking. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Again, this is a part of the story. It's a part of the narrative of human beings on this earth. And for those who reject Christ, those who say no to Jesus. And again, I want you to think about the people in your lives by name. When they say no to his death for the payment for their sins, they will be judged for their sins, regardless of what you believe about it. That's who God is. And the consequences for their sin is to live for all eternity outside of the presence of God away from the glory of His light. By the way, I love how that video shows all of this. It shows that this is a choice that these people are making. They are choosing to disobey God. God doesn't send people to hell, right? I hope we understand that. That is a choice that people make. They choose to decide that, no, I am going to live my life Outside of the direction and counsel and presence of God, I'm going to live for my ways, my purposes and my plans. And so when you die, when you take your final breath on this earth, you just continue to get to walk into that forever and ever. You get to choose to live outside of the presence of God and his glory. And that will continue forever and ever outside of the presence of the Lord, outside of the light of his glory. And I don't know about you, church, but the thought of that to me is terrible and frightening. It is frightening. Because as a Christian, as someone who just got done singing songs with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I so enjoy the presence of God. I am so in love with my Savior. To think of that divine presence of God in my life, to think of that relationship with my Creator, to be separated and to be separated forever, it is unbearable. Even more unbearable for me is to know That people, even today, are willingly choosing to live outside of that relationship with God. And it is devastating, and I think it should feel devastating to us. That these people are choosing to live outside of the presence of their Creator. And that God will honor that request. And they will be separated from His presence forever. I think, I would just say it this way. I don't think we should ever find pleasure in any person not finding salvation in Jesus Christ. That is one of the weird things that's happened to Christians these days. Where we're like, yeah, he finally got his. Where? What? How embarrassing. This is what the Bible says. 2 Peter 3.9 It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. See, people were making fun of these disciples because Jesus hadn't come back yet. Like, where's your God? Why hasn't he come back yet? And here he says, he's not slow. He says, no, listen up. He's patient. He's patient with you. What does he say? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the father. That's the heart of the father. I hope you guys can see that. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But I hope this passage reminds us, puts a burden once again on our hearts. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. Someone asked me the other day, "What does it mean to be a Christian?" One of the things is your testimony. Ernie, I love you sharing your testimony. Share your testimony, not just on Sunday morning. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, share the good news of Christ. Does it matter to you? Does their salvation matter to you? Sometimes it just seems like a big game. And yet, God has put you in that person's life to shine the light of Christ, to share the good news. And it's good news when you talk about it. Talk about it like it's good. Like it's a great, great, wonderful, free Gift of salvation that the Father, creator of heaven and earth, offers each one of us. To be saved. To be saved. Don't you want to be saved? Have your friends saved? Eternal life? But remember, the way he writes, he's writing to believers. So he's writing to encourage us who are suffering maybe at the hands of others. If you remember, last week he talked about steadfastness. Remember, I just love that word. Steadfastness. Anyone remember what I said it meant? It it means to. It's two words. Stay under. Stay under. That's all right. I'm going to preach that again next week. No, just kidding. It's so funny as a pastor. You're like, well, I did preach that like five years ago. You guys should all know by now. I get it. You, you don't remember. That's fine. The steadfastness, Uh, write it down. If you're taking notes, notes can kind of help too. I get it. This isn't the best way for everyone to learn, just someone talking. So write notes or whatever you need to do. Uh, Watch it again. Listen to it again. Read your Bible. Uh, But steadfastness is to stay under. And that's what he's encouraging them in. Don't abandon the faith, right? Don't retreat. Don't leave, but patiently endure, endure, remain steadfast. But part of that ability to remain steadfast, part of that ability to keep the faith even in the midst of people harming you and doing evil things towards you, it's the encouragement that you believe that your God hasn't forgotten you. Right? Part of the reason that you even stay under and you don't bail and you don't flee and you actually have those muscles of faith. Don't you love being around mature Christians that don't bail, but they're strong and they're steadfast? Why are they steadfast? Because they trust in the Lord. They trust in his plans for them. I trust that, God, you still have a plan. So I'm enduring. Again, these people are dying. They need to know that God has a plan. Right? They need to know there's a reason to remain in the faith and stay steadfast. Have you ever been a part of something where you thought there was a plan and then all of a sudden there is no plan? Ever? Anybody? Anyone remember uh, group projects in high school? You know, I, I, I got good grades in high school, and a group project just meant that I'd be doing everything uh, the night before the project was due, because there'd be some guy or girl that'd be like, oh, I forgot, or "Oh, I didn't do it, and so all of a sudden, a group project just meant I was doing more work. Uh, did not like group projects. Right, I was thinking about the Seahawks, Monday night football, tomorrow night, that's pretty exciting. Uh, what's the plan? The plan on offense for the Seahawks for years now has been to run the ball first. Have you noticed that? The plan is always to run the ball first. Last Sunday, was it frustrating to anyone else that it seemed like they bailed on the plan? Like they just started throwing the ball and I didn't think they were doing that bad. I think our offensive line is healthier than they've been in years and come on, run the ball, stick to the plan. But instead, we started throwing it and we all know what happened there. Paintballing. Anyone ever been paintballing before? Anybody? Or am I talking to the Rock, yeah, yeah, right? Uh, what a scary thing that is. But... Uh, First time I ever went paintball. And I'm like, all right, here we go. You know, you know, I'm kind of like goofy guy. I'm like, hey, woo. Like, hey, here we go. And I'm, yeah. And so that's what I was. And so the guy's like, okay, here's the deal. Like, there's like six, seven, eight of us. He goes, you, you two over there. You two over there. Hey, Dan, you're with me. Okay, okay, here we go. And then we go. And then all of a sudden, like, those guys get shot. Those guys get shot. I'm the only one left. And I'm like, ah! And so then I run to the tree. And they hit me a bunch of times. And the plan, uh. Whatever the plan was um, after that, I was like, I don't care what you're saying. I'm not listening to you. I'm just hiding over there because I don't like welts. And if you've ever been paintballing, you just have welts all over your body. But as Christians, you got to remember, God has a plan. Amen? Amen? Do you believe that? I I get it. It's hard to even trust that sometimes. But he's, he's got a plan and he's sticking to it. It's going to come to pass. God is not abandoning his plan. He's not changing it. He is coming like that Bible said, or like that video said. He's coming and he's going to make things right. He's going to make things straight. And so when a trial comes, when something terrible happens to us, we don't have to freak out. We don't have to freak out. And we can be confident that God isn't freaking out. He's very confident in his plans. When something bad happens, he's not like, oh, no, like, what do I do now? He's not like over in the corner just shaking like, leave me alone. I don't know what to do. Like, that is not how God is. God has a plan. And especially when I'm freaking out, because, by the way, that's very part of our human nature. There are times when we're freaking out. I, it's almost as if God's saying, hey, Dan, Dan, eyes on me. Right. I know you know. Come back here. Eyes on me." I got, Just look at me. Just look at me. I got you. I have a plan. And sometimes it feels like the bad guys are winning, right? Sometimes it feels like evil is winning. But the Lord says, no, eyes on me. I got a plan. You can trust me. You see this in Paul's letter. I mean, things aren't going great. But he says, no, you can trust in the Lord. In fact, earlier in the last passage in this passage today, he's also just reminding them of the good work that's happening in them, even in the midst of the trials. Have you ever thought about that? Like, sometimes you think that God, the good work that God's gonna do you in you is after you get through the trial. Like, there's gonna be this some perfect day. That, by the way, won't happen until he comes back, but that, that's when I'm going to grow in the Lord. And isn't that cool how he's showing them? He goes, no, like, actually, you're growing in the Lord in the midst of these evil people surrounding you. You are becoming more like Christ. Isn't that beautiful? He goes, no, actually, in the midst of this great persecution, what did he say? He said, you're increasing in your faith. Your faith is increasing abundantly. And he says, you're increasing in your love for one another. In fact, you're so steadfast, I'm bragging about you to all the other churches. I just want to encourage you in that, that God is doing a good work in you right where you are right now. You don't have to wait for another location or another situation or another place or another friendship. You don't have to wait for the next thing. Right now, God is doing a good work in you. There's a great quote by a guy named John Corson. and He kind of talks a little bit about this. I love how he says it. He goes, although I know this in theory, I still find myself praying, Lord... I don't want to deal with this. Lord, I don't want to have to go through this. Lord, do I have to go there? And then, Lord, get me out of here. Have you ever prayed any of those prayers before? Amen. But he says, in reality, such prayers are unwise because they can actually hinder the work that the Lord was doing in me through those trials. So consequently, he says, I am praying less, Lord, help me, And more, Lord, help yourself to me. Lord, help yourself to me. I'm tired of directing you. Put me wherever you see that I'll be most fruitful, because you know best. Trust in the Lord. Trust in His ways for your life. There's some great verses about this. Uh, Isaiah, he says... I, I, this one actually got me through a pretty tough time a couple of years ago. He says, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Proverbs, you've heard this one before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. You maybe haven't heard this one from Jeremiah before, but this is beautiful. Look at this. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no wearies or worries in a year of drought. No worries. And it never fails to bear fruit. And then from Hebrews, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Maybe you need to hear that today from Jesus. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And then the very next verse, for we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isn't that beautiful? For he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I trust in you, Jesus. I trust in you, God, and your plan for me. LifeSpring, do you trust in the Lord? Do you trust in the Lord? Do you believe that He knows what's best for you? Do you believe in His promises? Do you believe that He's coming back? Do you believe He's the soon and coming King? Do you believe that He's going to raise you from the dead? That as He was risen from the dead, that you are also going to raise from the dead? Do you trust that He is eternal life and whoever believes in Him has eternal life in Him? Do you believe that? Do you trust in that? Amen, right? Amen. Do you have hope in that? Yes. You trust in the Lord. Now, sometimes... It's a little shaky, isn't it, our answer. Sometimes, Pastor Dan, the, the answer is, I, I think I do.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah? Is that, is that what you wanted me to say? <laughs> like, I think. Because sometimes our emotions and our feelings, it just begins to play with us. And there's times when we're not sure what we believe or who we trust or where our hope is. By the way, one of the most powerful things you can do on a bad day, and everyone's going to have a bad day. One of the most powerful things you can do on a sad day, and everyone's going to have a sad day. Man, the mariners are breaking my heart. Moving on. If you've ever had a day where things aren't going the way you want them to go, one of the most powerful things you can do, not just think it, not just feel it, but with your words, say, I trust you, God. Right? There's one thing to say that when you're on the mountaintop and you're just happy and you're just like, I trust you, God. But often it's with tears in your eyes. You guys know what I'm talking about. Sometimes for me, it was always like two in the morning when I'm freaking out about eternity. Right. You just say, God, I trust in you. Do you trust God? I have a dear friend. uh, She goes to this church and she's had to do this for months. Really, she had to do this for months upon months upon months where she was just feeling all these different emotions, but you just saw it through it all. She just continued every day to put her trust in God. I trust in you, Lord. I trust in you, Lord. That's sometimes, a se- you know what I'm talking about? There's that the season of years. I just trust in you, Lord. I trust in you, Lord. I trust in you, Lord. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I trust in the name of the Lord, my God. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Him, church. Trust that He's coming back. Trust that one day you're going to be in the presence of your Savior and the glory of His might. You're going to marvel at who He is in His presence. That was the hope of the persecuted church 2,000 years ago. Church, that is our hope today. Right now, that is our hope. We trust that His plans will come true. That's why people, even to this day, still die for their faith. Because they believe in God. They believe in His promises. I love the picture, and if we could put that up on the screen. I, I love this picture that they put up there uh, for the video. What a beautiful picture of hope. And for us, it's a picture, but for many people around this world, that is their lives. But this is hope. Even if you kill me, you cannot stop God's plan for my life. My father would speak those things over my life from a little boy he'd talk about. That they can't take you away from God's plan for your life. They can't take away the fact that He's coming back for you. His plans, He's going to see them through. In fact, He's so confident in His plans. Even if you bury me, God's going to raise me. If you, if you want a tattoo, tattoo that. Even if you bury me, God's going to raise me. Amen? Listen to this one, Psalm 3311, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The promises of his heart through all generations. Isaiah 25, O oh Lord, I will honor and praise your name for you are my God. You do such wonderful things. You planned them long ago and now you have accomplished them. It's what the Lord does. He accomplishes his plans. So even when it feels like the evil is too great, we remain steadfast in the Lord along with Paul, along with countless thousands upon thousands of men and women of the faith who have trusted in God, who have put their hope in Jesus, their very lives in the hands of God. And we can stand. We can Identify and and just truly walk along this journey of faith with Paul, who says in 2 Corinthians, we are afflicted in every way. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but there are times when you feel afflicted. But he says, but not crushed. He says, we are perplexed. Have you ever been perplexed? I can identify with that one. Just every once in a while, you're like, really? Like this? This? Anyone else? You know what? Else? You're like, and I'm saying the word cup. You ever get here with your brain? What is a cup? Why do I when I say cup that I think of this? And what is this? What is this made of paper? What's paper? Paper? What is a paper? Right? You ever get there just in your brain where you go down you're like what? I am quite perplexed. (laughs) And then like you're going along, you're like, you know, social media is the greatest thing ever. and I just love social media. And and then like your friend, like a friend that you thought was like a really cool friend, post that one thing on social media. And you're like, what was your account hacked? Because I am so perplexed that a friend of mine would ever say something like that. Or maybe no one else has had that happen. That's why I got off Facebook. I was like, no, I don't want to know that about you. Like, delete. (laughs) Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but praise the Lord. Not forsaken. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Struck down. Absolutely. But not destroyed. He says later, he says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction... This is so beautiful how he writes. He goes, this light momentary affliction. Again, affliction is hard and heavy and brutal. But he says, no, no. In comparison, I just love the Bible. He says, no, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us, church, for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Hallelujah. Keep your eyes on the prize. Right. Keep your eyes on the price, by the way. And you are a peculiar people. You're strange. Get over it. Right. I just remember that, like in high school, you're just like trying so hard to be, you know, all these different things. You're weird. Like, just just get over it. Why? Why are you so weird? Because even when your enemies are trying to kill you, you sing these songs of joy and deliverance, even as they stone Stephen. What did he say? He goes, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who does that? But someone who has a hope in the plans of Jesus Christ. We're strange to this world. We, In fact, think about this. We have hope even when everyone else doesn't have hope. When the situation is hopeless. I can't tell you how many rooms. Many of you would say the truth in your lives. How many rooms I have come into and I realize I carried the hope of Christ into that room. You ever been there before? Where you realize like, whoa. Like this room is just full of a heaviness of darkness and yet your light i'm a bearer of your image a bearer of your light and as i come into this room the light of christ and the hope of christ comes into this room you ever been there it's heavy but also just like wow this is what i have as a christian i literally have hope that other people don't have like we make it so christianese like oh i have hope in jesus no you have hope in jesus And you're sitting next to the person who doesn't have Jesus and they have no hope. And yet in Christ, I'm like, man, I can be radical for the Lord. I can even go into dangerous situations if God is calling me into them because I literally have hope in Christ. Even if you kill me, God will raise me. I just love that. That was getting me going this week. I mean, and, and again, I mean, let's not. Sure, that's violent, right? That's evil. That's wicked. Just, there's nothing worse than another person taking another person's life. But as Christians, we have to trust this: that even that violent act cannot take away God's plan for us. Paul says it this way. He says, "I'm convinced that neither death, there it is, right there, right at the beginning, neither death nor life, angels nor demons." present, nor the future, nor any powers. He's not done yet. He says neither height nor depth. And he's like, just include everything else, nor anything else in all creation. Say it with me, church. will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You can't separate me from my God. You can't. I remember one time, uh, Steve Schell over at the other uh, church, he was talking, he goes, you can cut off my arms, you can cut off, you know, all these different things, but you cannot keep me from praising my God. It was the coolest thing, picturing him without, you know, arms and stuff, but <laughs> just <laughs> praising the Lord, right? There's a great encouragement, especially, by the way, if you're suffering in parts of the world right now where persecution is so great that they can say, yeah, you're, yeah, yes, violence, Affliction persecution, suffering, but you cannot take me away from my God. And I think some of you today, church, it might be time for you to declare that truth over your life. It's time for you to once again put your trust, a real trust, not just the song, but an actual tangible trust and hope in the Lord. Like the Thessalonians, like so many people who have gone through really difficult situations, you're not the first to go through a trial or a hardship That you would say, regardless of how I feel, regardless of how things are going, I trust in you, Lord. I trust that never will you forsake me. Never will you leave me. Never will you abandon me. I trust that nobody can separate me from your love. I trust that you're coming back to make things right. I trust that on that day, you will be glorified in me and I in you. And I am going to stand in your presence amazed. I am going to marvel at you, Jesus. Some of you need to make that commitment, that step of faith today. But then with our last few minutes here, I want to close with verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12. And I hope this encourages you. He says, this is a prayer of Paul for the Thessalonians, but also for us today. He says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you and him, according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and just leave that verse up on the screen. Because see, this idea of goodness, that God fulfills every resolve for good, it's so important for us to hear what that verse is saying. It says that God is the one who fulfills every resolve for good. So just think about your life. all even the good things in your life. They don't come. From you, but they come from a work of God through you. And then he says, pray to God that he would fulfill every work of faith in your life. What? By his power. By his power. So again, every work of faith, everything you do by faith for God is actually, again, by the power of God. Every step of faith is by the power of God. So today, as we close, if you are trying to live this life of faith, if you're trying to remain steadfast, if you're trying to trust in the Lord, if you're trying to trust in his Promises and in his plans, you just need to hear this. You cannot do that on your own. You cannot do that without the power of God. Supernatural faith demands supernatural power. This is one of my great concerns. One of the great concerns I have for people who shy away from powerful moves of the Holy Spirit. I get it. Sometimes moves of the Holy Spirit look unusual, they maybe make you feel uncomfortable but it might be time for you to get a little uncomfortable because you need the power of God. You need the move of God in your life if you want to live a life of faith. If you don't want to be bailing, right? Every time Jesus, you know, just think about every time something happens and it's kind of hard or it's kind of difficult. If you don't want to be leaving and abandoning every time life gets hard and the pressure comes on you, if you want to remain steadfast, if you want to live a life of trust, you cannot do that on your own. You have to have the power of God moving in your life. There is no Christian life other than the Holy Spirit filled life. You need his power. Sometimes when people are struggling in the faith and I just see it in their eyes, but it happens to all of us from time to time. But when you're struggling in the faith, what do you need? You don't need a story. You need a living, real God and his power to move in you. You need a word from the Lord. Anyone ever just were like, I just need a word from the Lord. You need someone to come into you and just say, hey, I want to say something to you. I feel like the Lord is wanting to say something to you. And then they just begin to pour out the Father's heart for you. I can't tell you how many times when I was struggling in the faith, when I felt so empty, when I felt so weak, that is exactly when someone would come in, follow the Holy Spirit, and they begin to prophesy over my life. Just speak. Just two weeks ago, someone from Spokane, they texted me, hey, I'm just praying this. Over you today, and, and it was hebrews four sixteen it was let us then approach god 's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Church, that was a word from the Lord to me. it was a word that moved in power. Through me, it increased my faith. My faith was soaring. In fact, uh, the worship team, I shared that scripture with the worship team. My wife, just yesterday, she's like, Dan, listen to this. This is from a lady, she's not even, I don't, she's up north somewhere, and she's like, Mary, I was praying over you, and the Spirit of God sent me to you. And this is what the Spirit of God says over your life. And she read it, and it was beautiful and powerful. And my my wife, like, watch out, right? Just the way it increased her faith and her trust in the Lord. And yeah, like she's doing some amazing, incredible things by the power of God through her. That's what Paul is doing, by the way. That's what Paul is doing. I hope as Americans we can get this and start learning this. I don't know how Satan just... what he's done to us. He has made it a powerless religion. But if Paul was here right now, He'd encourage you. He'd encourage those that are suffering. He would share a word, a word from the Holy Spirit. And he'd speak this. He'd say, I want to speak this over your life. God is going to fulfill everything in your life. He's going to make you worthy of his calling. He's going to fulfill every good thing, every work of faith in your life by his power. That's what Paul would do. That's what Peter or John, any of the early disciples would do. They'd come in and they'd say, God wants to give you the power. That you can remain steadfast. God wants to give you the power that you could trust in the Lord. God wants to do good things in you and through you. He wants that for you, church. He wants to give you power. He wants to resource you so that your faith would grow, that you'd grow in love, that you'd grow in faith, you'd grow in steadfastness, that you would sprint through the finish line of faith. It just breaks my heart how many people are still trying to just be good little boys or little girls. Without the power of God rushing through you like a living water. And so I want to pray for us. Because ultimately this is what it's all about. The last verse it says, the name of the Lord Jesus, that he would be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That we would live lives that bring glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. And that he would be glorified in us all by the grace of God. We were meant to shine. Did you know that? Your life, it's meant to shine. You're supposed to shine like stars. You're supposed to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. And circumstances, as hard as they are, and people as evil as they are, they do not get to dictate how bright you shine. I want to say that again. Circumstances and people do not get to dictate how bright you shine. You can be confident and bold in the promises and purposes of God. You can trust that he's going to good work in you. And he's coming back. I wonder how many Christians even know that he's coming back. How many Christians are going to be surprised? Like, oh, I didn't know you were doing that. He's coming back. He's coming back. Stand firm. Hold fast. Trust in the plans of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, move in this place. Move in this place. Lord, I am tired of just watching Christians just be tossed to and fro and up and down and all over the place on the emotional roller coaster of life. Lord, we want to be strong in you, Jesus. We want to stand firm in you, Jesus. We want to hold fast in you, Jesus. We want there to be a resolve within us, Lord, that even as they come to kill us, that we could say, no, all I trust is in you, Jesus. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I trust in the name of the Lord, my God. Lord, we trust you, Jesus. But Lord, we need your help. We are so desperate for your help. Lord, we need the power of your spirit. We need your spirit. Some of us, we just know it. There's a, there's something that needs to be broken within us. There's a dam that we've built up. There's a fear. There's a worry or an anxiety that just have kept us from completely surrendering to your spirit. So I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would open up, open up the floodgates, open up the, just the living waters. Of your spirit, even now, Lord, even now, Lord Jesus, even now, Lord Jesus, even now, not one of us would just leave this place trying to muscle up some willpower to be good boys or good girls, but we would be wholly surrendered and dependent upon the spirit of the living God. We want to be sensitive to your move, Lord. That we would be known as the people who know you and obey you and follow you according to your plans and your purposes by your power and your grace. Lord Jesus, as you just continue to minister by your your Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that you'd remind us Of those who do not know you, Jesus. That you would continue to give us opportunities and openings to share the good news of your Son with those around us. Lord, I pray that over our workplace. I pray that over our schools. I pray that over our commute. I pray that over our shopping experiences, Lord. I just pray that over every area where we are living and moving and breathing, that You'd give us opportunities to shine Your light. Not to manipulate, not to scare, not to even preach, but just to shine Your light. That we would carry Your hope, Your light, wherever we go. And Lord, the sad reality is even... As your, news, your good news is preached, there are many people who say no to the salvation you bring. There are many people who will reject you, Christ. But Lord, I know that as much as there's people who are going to say no, there's others that are going to say yes. Say yes to you, Jesus. And so I just pray that, Lord, that you would encourage us to be bold and just sharing your salvation with the world. We need your Power, the power of your Holy Spirit to move in us, to give us the boldness to share the good news with those around us. As we're praying, and, and this is a holy moment, this is a special moment as we're just communing with God and considering the encouragement of His Word. If there's anyone here today that doesn't know God, doesn't have that personal relationship with God, isn't living a life where you're following His ways and obeying His commands, it, if that's you and, and you know that uh, you've never said yes to his salvation and yet you want to be assured and have confidence of an eternal life with him, if you want to make that commitment today, I would love to pray with you. And so just as we have our heads bowed, this isn't for anyone else, it's not to put on a show or, or anything like that, but just that you'd be able to walk the rest of your days here on earth and eternity in the presence of God, if, if that's you, uh, would you raise your hand very high and I, I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. You could be a part of the family forever and ever. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you We thank you for who you are. We trust in you again. We put our confidence in your plans. And we do believe you're coming back. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.